welcome to MindShift, where we explore how mindsets can help you live a life of passion and purpose. On this show, we'll explore how our thoughts, attitudes, and beliefs shape our outlook on life and influence our decisions. We'll talk to experts from various fields and hear from individuals who have transformed their lives by adopting new mindsets. Whether you're feeling stuck, searching for life's purpose, or simply curious about the power of the mind and how it's changing the future, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Hello and welcome to MindShift. If you haven't done so already, please hit that subscribe button and follow along for some tips and tools on how to become your best self. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Abby Hegney, and she is a uh, life coach and mindset coach specifically for women to really get rid of those shackles that society puts on us and those expectations that society puts on us and really empowering women to live the life that they want, live the life that they know that they can live, but have been afraid to step into it. So Abby, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. So I just want to start right at the beginning. And and what really was the changing point in your life to start stepping into your power, start to living the life that you know, and developing this passion that you really wanted to to continue sharing this with others? Yeah. Um, so it started, my shift, I will say started when um, I found out I was pregnant with my son, who is now eight years old. Um, I realized in that moment that to have a healthy pregnancy and to have the pregnancy that I wanted and a child, uh, you know, a healthy child that I wanted that I had to gain weight. And that really scared me because I had spent most of my life avoiding gaining weight. Um, and that was something that started with me when I was about 12 years old, I was in gymnastics at the time and my coach, you know, I don't think he meant anything being harmful by it, but he had said, uh, made a comment around being careful not to gain weight because gymnasts are small and that's what was kind of expected, quote unquote, you know, those shackles that you mentioned, um, that was what was expected of me. And I just, that comment just stuck with me. I took it and it became my life for the next 20 plus years. And I actually didn't realize that it was a problem. You know, I mean, it started with me at 12 years old. I would get, you know, all of those, the magazines out there that tell women what to eat and what not to eat and what workouts to do for thinner this and, you know, skinnier this. And I would rip out all the pages and I'd keep them in a folder in my room. And I would watch everything that I ate. And then I would go out for a run to burn things off. And I just lived a life on a roller coaster that was all dictated by the food that I ate. It really did control my mood. And again, I just thought it was normal. I thought that's what women did. I thought women dieted. I thought women watched everything that they ate. I thought we worked out only to burn off calories. Um, and it wasn't until that moment that I found out that I was pregnant, that I realized how unhealthy I had been living where I always thought like I was, I'm the healthy one. I watch what I eat. I move my body, but it was for all of the wrong reasons from all of the negative, um, 
mindsets that society places on us. And I realized that not only did I want to gain weight to have a healthy pregnancy, but I wanted to change that. That's not right. That I want to enjoy my life that I didn't know that I was having a boy at the time that if I had a daughter, I didn't want her to grow up um, living that way. And I, I do have a daughter now and she will never hear words like that out of my mouth or in this home, right? Like I want them to embrace everything that they are and to live that life that they, that they love with all of the things that they love. And we can do that. We can eat all of the foods that we enjoy when it's in balance with foods that are, make us feel really good. And when we actually realize what food does to our body, we tend to want the foods that make us feel really good. Right. But, um, yeah, so that really just shifted in me and I came across health coaching and it made me realize that food and movement are absolutely important to our health, but our health is also so much more. It's how we manage our stress, which I had not been managing very well because food stressed me out and I moved my body out of a stress, you know, of, of eating, you know, not even eating too much, just eating things I thought I shouldn't be eating. Um, you know, it's getting proper sleep. It's connecting with family and friends and really just allowing yourself to be present with who you are. I love that. And it's actually just such a powerful story. And I think so relatable to us of just those those unnecessary expectations that are put on us. And I want to touch on something you said there that I I find super fascinating is we have these foods that we enjoy, that we actually truly enjoy. But then we get this mindset of, oh, I shouldn't have this as if there's like a morality set to it. And what's fascinating about it is our bodies don't, they kind of go into this fear mode, right? This uh, parasympathetic mode and actually end up doing more harm because there's, you know, all kinds of the, the inflammation chemicals being released from our brain as a result of not actually even enjoying this thing that we really do enjoy. Yeah. We think a lot of the times we think food is going to make us feel better, right? And that's not to say we're hungry and we need food to feel better and to get gain energy. It's the, I'm sad, I'm tired, I'm frustrated, um, you know, whatever the emotional side of it is, I'm stressed out. And then we reach for food thinking that's going to be the thing that makes us feel better, that makes us feel less stressed, less sad, less frustrated, all of the things. But in reality, it just makes us feel worse because then we're like, well, why did I do that? I shouldn't have done that. I had this and I didn't want to eat that. And that was bad. And it's all of those things, but all of those things are just a complicated relationship we have in our mind with food. And when you can boil it down to food is just food until you make it mean something else, it changes everything, right? It changes that I don't have control when there's cookies in the house, I'm going to eat them all. Well, no, cookies are just cookies. <laughs> like, they're, they're not like, they're not like a fishing rod, like reeling you in. Like it's you making yourself feel like you have no control. It's giving that control to the cookies or to, you know, whatever else you feel like is released from you when food is around and food is really just food. It, and it really is and changing that relationship 
um, it's interesting. A mentor of mine um, was talking about our relationship with food and how a lot of times these eating disorders are this kind of attempt to feel loved because when we were born, the number one thing that our mom would hopefully do for us would feed us. You know, whenever we're feeling irritated, upset, you know, we would get this this food from our, our parents and it was this feeling of of being supported, of feeling loved, of being being comforted. And I don't think that a lot of us realize how that can end up running the show later on when we have these so-called comfort foods and, you know, I'm so emotional, I need to eat ice cream or, or whatever it is. And really it's this self-soothing of wanting to feel loved, comforted, and supported. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think to take a moment and to slow down when you feel like you need to feel that love again, whether it's been a bad day and you're in the cabinet searching for something to eat, to take a moment and just ask yourself, what do you really need right now? And most often we don't do that. We're just grabbing the things and then that doesn't do it. So we grab something else and we don't take the time to recognize what we really need. And so you can ask yourself, you know, what is it that I need right now? Am I stressed? Do I need something that's going to, you know, lessen my stress a little bit? Am I sad? Do I need something that's going to either make me feel a little bit better or just allow me to be sad? Because that's also okay. We don't have to run from our emotions. But what is it that you really need right now? And to be honest with yourself and then to ask yourself, is food the answer? Because unless you're hungry, it's usually not the answer. If you if you're very honest with yourself, yeah, absolutely. And and being curious about why we feel that way, right? Like being, what is the the message our body's trying to tell us here? Is it really that I'm hungry? Is it really that that's going to comfort me, or is there a deeper underlying issue that I just haven't even seen before because I've just been so caught up in in this whirlwind and letting the trauma run the show? Yeah. And also like, what are you avoiding? You know, if you're sad, if you're stressed, if you're frustrated, if you're any of these things, what are you trying to avoid by reaching for the food? Like why not allow yourself to sit in sadness, to sit in frustration? And I think that's a big thing in our society is that we try to brush all our emotions under the rug and we don't allow ourselves to feel it because it feels bad to feel that way. But when we really do allow ourselves to feel whatever emotion comes our way, whether it's on the positive side of the spectrum or the negative side, it teaches us that we can handle those emotions, that we don't need the food to make us feel better, that those emotions are really just vibrations in our body. And that's it. They're nothing to be feared. The only thing that we're fearing is that we're making it mean something beyond what it actually is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and reframing it to, uh, to understand what's going on. I absolutely love that. So I'm curious when you were going through your, your shift and as you see other women starting to take this on, what are some of the fears that you see pop up and what are some of the tools that you've utilized and you help others utilize to kind of work past and, and find out what fears are popping up and how to move through them? Yeah. The biggest thing that I see is a fear of failure. 
Um, and I think most often that's why women are still seeking change is that we fear failure and we quickly change course as soon as the first thing comes up that we don't feel like is working for us. The first challenge comes our way. Um, we tend to get into that all or nothing mindset. Well, I've already, you know, eaten the cookie. I might as well eat them all. Or, you know, I, I'm just not one that can be consistent and we're basing our future on our past. And what I really try to do with them is bring it back to what is now and the decisions that they make, because our goals are really just made up of, I don't know, a thousand, 10,000 little decisions along the way. And if you just bring it back to the next decision that you want to make, that you have to make, it makes it so much more feasible for them. And that fear of failure slips away because as long as you just focus on that next decision, really what you're doing is focusing on the next step. And if you're only ever focused on the next step, you're going to keep going, right? And um, I really help my clients shift from the all or nothing mindset to an all in commitment to their goals. And when you're all in committed to your goals, you're willing to keep going. You're willing to allow things to not work and not be frustrated with them instead to learn from them and be like, okay, I tried that and it didn't work. So what am I going to do next? Right. It's bringing it back to that next decision, but we are too often like all nothing. And we just need to shift that to, I'm going to figure it out no matter what. And as long as you're always focused on figuring it out, finding what feels good to you, doing more of what feels good and not the feel good in the moment. Like, you know, eating a sleeve of cookies may feel good for some people in the moment, but afterwards you probably don't feel so good. So what are the things that make you feel good, that boost your energy, that boost your confidence, um, that make you less tired, that allow you to put yourself first, these sorts of things. And then just doing more of that. And it's hard at first, we have to rewire our brains, right? <laughs> but it gets easier and then it just becomes who you are. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree with you that, you know, there's a book called the, you know, it's actually looting me right now. I think it's, I want to say the miracle morning, but I don't think that's the one, but it's uh, just small, consistent steps creates miracles. And another great book called the obstacles, the way by Ryan holiday. And uh, essentially just saying, take the next step. The obstacle that's in your way is exactly what you need right now to move forward. And, you know, in the example of, of the cookies, you know, maybe the next step is just simply not picking up that next cookie and being okay. And even have some compassion for the cookie that you did eat and that you did enjoy it, but you don't really need that sleeve of cookies. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say that the obstacle in your way is not only probably the thing that you need to be doing, but the obstacle is most often in your own mind, the way that you're thinking yeah. about that next step, thinking about the cookie, thinking about the obstacle, because the only thing that's going to set you apart from somebody else who had that exact same obstacle is the way that you think about it. The person next to you thought, okay, it's an obstacle came up. Obstacles come up in our lives, right? If not, we would all feel happy all the time, but things come up and it's just a matter of thinking, I've got this, I can figure it out, I can do it, 
I'm okay with an obstacle coming up or, oh my gosh, this obstacle came up and it's over. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the name of the book is The Miracle Equation, actually. And okay. small, consistent steps creates miracles. And I really, it's just consistency. You know, if, if let's say you did eat the whole sleeve, that's okay. What are you going to do now? You know, and having that real self-compassion for ourselves and not just saying, oh man, I'm a failure. You know, because when we beat ourselves up, then it, it absolutely sets us back. So as people move through these, as these women are are starting to empower themselves, I find that not just women, just humans in general have this imposter syndrome as if mm-hmm. all this past conditioning is telling us this isn't who we really are. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, what are some what are some tools and some mindset shifts that you help people that just feel like, you know, I'm an imposter and I don't, I don't deserve this or I'm not worthy of this or whatever that may look like. Yeah. Um, I have them look for evidence that they are that person or that it is working or, um, that they do feel good or whatever it is that they're working towards. Because as humans, women, men, whatever, we are conditioned to look for evidence as to why it's not working or all of the reasons why it's not going to happen or all of the things that come up, why it's not going to be possible for us. And what we have to do is start to look for evidence that it is working, that it is possible, that we are capable for it. And it can just be the smallest shift, but it's like the difference between the possibility of something happening versus our default to the probability that it's not going to happen because we base probability off of everything that's previously happened in our lives. And we don't really worry about that in my program. Like we leave the past in the past and we focus on where they are today and what's possible for them moving forward. And then throughout their journey, we look at what worked, what didn't work and what we're going to do differently. And we just keep going, but you have to make that shift. And, um, you know, I was just talking to a client about this and it's like a piggy bank and you're just filling it with evidence of all of the things that make you feel good. All of the things that tell you it's working, all of the thoughts that you have that make you believe it's possible and you just got to keep filling it up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me of a book I read recently called who, not how, where it's a, entrepreneur book, but one thing that they do every 90 days to help continue that motivation going forward is they look over the past 90 days and and we all know the so-called failures that we have, right? But where did you succeed? What are all the little successes? What are the things that you've accomplished in the last 90 days? And I've recently done this. And when you really start every little thing that you've accomplished over the last 90 days, us humans are are amazing. And there are so many possibilities around us all the time. And I think that there's so many things that we actually do take advantage of that, that we're proud of, but because it was a week, two months ago, whatever, we forget it. We yeah. simply are, our, our reticular activating system is set to, look at our failures and think like, oh, I'm not good enough, which I really do think also helps with this imposter syndrome, right? I'm not good enough. I can't do this. But the evidence is still there that we are doing this and we had so many successes. So 
did you celebrate the success? Did you realize like, success? And what are you doing to really feel that success in you moving forward? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's such a good point. Um, two things on that. The first being the successes and we can have 10 successes and one failure, and we're going to focus on that failure. And it's going to override all of the things that went well. And I see this with, you know, again, my clients are tend to be women, but I see this with them all the time. They'll be like, oh, you know, it wasn't a good week. I was really stressed out and I ate all of this stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, what does that really mean to them? And then they like boil it down. It's like, okay, maybe they had one bad day. And then they had all of these great things, but they're so focused on the one day that things just didn't go as planned. And like, that doesn't seem so bad to me, right? But they're making it to be a huge problem or a huge failure rather than looking at all of those successes. And it's just, again, it's just the way, the evidence that you're looking for and what you want to fill your mind with. Um, and then the, you know, the who, not how, I think is such a powerful thing that we can do for ourselves. Um, and another exercise I do is thinking about who do you want to be? So we all have goals, but when you think about the person at the end, when you've reached that goal, what is she doing? How is she thinking? How is she showing up every day? And then to start to show up as that person. And, you know, I think about this every morning. I wake up early. I get my workout in. And when my alarm goes off, I'm just like everybody else, right? Like I'm like, my bed is warm. It's dark outside. It's cold. I didn't sleep well. All of the excuses come up. But what gets me out of bed is thinking about who I'll be when that workout is done, who I'll be when I take time for myself, when I move my body. I know that I manage my stress much better throughout the day. I'm more patient. I'm more present with my family and my kids. And I'm just a better person when I get up and I have that time to put myself first. That's what gets me out of bed. Like those excuses are going to keep me in bed, but you got to move to who are you going to be not the, you know, not the laying out the workout clothes, not the, you know, um, scheduling your workout or whatever it is. Like, that's all the how. That's not what gets you out of bed. What gets you out of bed is everything at the end of it. I absolutely love that. And especially thinking about who you want to be. For for me, I'm in this biohacking field where we're, you know, extending longevity right now. And I truly believe that, you know, I can live to 212. And when I ask people how long they're going to live to, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, 80, 85, maybe 90. And, and that's all they want to. And, you know, if we present evidence, you can live longer. Most people don't want to live that long. And, I always ask why, well, they don't want to be decrepit. They don't want to be old. They don't want to be mm -hmm. diseased. You know, all the things that we associate with old age and, you know, all the evidence right now is pointing to the contrary and, and extending the longevity of humans. And do I ever care if I actually get to 212? No, not really. I just know that if I think about that person of who I want to become, then I'm going to take care of my body. Now I'm going to take care of all the things that's going to help me get to there. That way I can be, you know, 90, 95, hundred plus and still be youthful, still be vibrant, still be disease free and truly live our best lives. So truly looking at who we want to become rather than 
even how we're going to get there, then I truly believe that we start taking care of ourselves emotionally, mentally, physically, all of it, right? Yeah. It's funny you say that. I was just thinking about that. I had to take my car in for an oil change yesterday. And I was thinking, I'm like, oh, okay, my car, we got it when I was pregnant with my son. So it's eight years old. It runs great. I want to have this car for as long as I can. But I'm like, the way that I'm going to have this car for as long as I possibly can is by taking care of the car taking it in for an oil change, you know, rotating the tires, all of these things. And it's the same with our bodies. If we want to not be the decrepit old person, we need to take care of our bodies now. We can't wait until we're then battling illnesses, right? It's that like either invest in your health or you invest in illness. And I would rather invest in my health now. It's the same with my car. Like I would rather take care of it through maintenance that have big issues and have to pay even more to just take care of whatever it is. But we don't always look at things that way. We're looking at, well, I'd rather just enjoy, you know, all of this crappy stuff. And I rather enjoy sitting on the couch than going out for a walk or whatever it is. But you have to think about where do you want to be? How long do you want to live? How much life do you want to have in your years and make decisions based off of that? Absolutely. I, I absolutely love that. And and having that longevity mindset of I can I can do everything I can right now to make my future better. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's a really it's a it's a shift for sure to, you know, do things that may be a little uncomfortable rather than staying on the couch and eating the cookies or, or whatever that may be. But I think that emotionally, especially, but physically and, and all of it, we really, truly feel better afterwards. So I'm curious, I, I have this, uh, this gentleman that I listen to He's one of my superheroes called Peter Diamandis, and he talks about your massive transformative purpose. Like, what are you doing to really transform not only yourself, but the world around you? And, uh, and I really believe that once we have goals bigger than ourselves, then we start showing up better for everyone, but especially ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious what your massive transformative purpose is and how do you help others find something bigger than themselves as they're going down this path and as they're starting to, you know, have the little successes and starting to believe themselves. Um, what's, what is your, what's your massive transformative purpose? Yeah. And I think mine is the same for what I want the people I work with to have. And it is just this ripple of change. And I see myself as just like one drop. And if I can change, you know, for me, it started with wanting my daughter to not fear food, to not look at her body and criticize it all of the time. I mean, yes, you are going to have those thoughts, but to not let them control you. And then, you know, so it started with her, but I'm like, wow, if I can change her, then I can change other people too. And if I can change one woman, she's going to change her daughter. She's going to change her best friend's way of looking at herself. And her best friend is then going to change her daughter's way of looking at herself or her mother's way of looking at herself. And it's just this ripple of confidence, I think, in who you are, not who you think you quote unquote should be. Right. And I think that is just the most massive change that could happen in the world is for somebody to just feel confident in who they are, be able to 
find gratitude in the life that they are living and everything around them, even if they want to change, right? Like, I'm not saying you have to love everything and be okay exactly where you are, but when you love where you are, when you can accept everything that has happened to you and exactly where you are in the moment, it just makes change come a lot easier for you. And so I just, I really like, I feel like this like ripple come out of me and every person, whether I work with them or I'm just engaging with them, you know, and, and it's even like your podcast audience, somebody's going to hear this and it's going to change them. And they're going to take something away from this. And I'm sure it's every one of your episodes, your listeners take one thing away and that creates its own ripple of change. And we just need more kindness. We need more kindness for ourselves as well as for other people. And this is my way of doing that. Absolutely. And that's that's beautiful. The ripple effect of, you know, one one little change can absolutely change the world. And, and all it takes is reaching the right person. And I think a lot of us forget that going back kind of to that imposter syndrome, our story right where we are and how we got to where we are is someone's starting point. You know, it is someone's, uh, someone that's going to hear this or someone other's story and say, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I feel. I can change. I can do this. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And they start following you. They start, you know, it's that, uh, that fire that starts within somebody simply because you're living your power. You're living your truth. And when we really, truly step into that, it becomes a starting point for others to start living their truth. Yeah. And I truly believe like gratitude, if we can find gratitude for what is, even if you want to change, when you start to look for all of the things that you're grateful for in your life, that creates abundance in your life. And we realize we don't need things to change in order to feel good. We can be happy right where we are. We can find reasons why we're exactly where we are is where we're meant to be. And when you feel that abundance, that's when things start to change because you're not out like on a hamster wheel spinning and trying all of these different things and it's not working and you just keep taking the same route around the wheel. You start to look at things differently. You start to be willing to take risks and to change things. And that's when things in your life will start to change, but it's got to start with the gratitude for what life has brought you and where you are now, even if it's been really crappy stuff, because that really crappy stuff has made you stronger. It has made you look at things differently. It has gotten you to exactly where you are. You are where you are and there's no denying that. So you just have to accept it and know that there's more to it. I love how you put that too. The gratitude creates abundance. And I know that's absolutely been been true for my life. So I absolutely love that. I want to thank you for coming on the show today. It's been an amazing conversation. Before we go, where can people find you? Uh, what's your what's your website and the people that want to maybe go check out your stuff and maybe do some coaching with you? Where where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. My website is wellnesswithabbyh.com. And that's also my Instagram um, handle, Wellness with Abby H. Um, I'm most active on Instagram, so they can find me there as well. Perfect. And for anybody listen, I'll include that in the show notes so you can more easily find her. Abby, thank you so much for coming on the show. And hopefully we'll get to connect again in the future. Awesome. Thank you. You have a great day. Thank you.